Well, you know, we've been in the book of 1 John in this series, Genuine. We'll be there again, almost finished now. Uh, we'll be in the early parts of chapter 5, and we'll have one more week to finish this series, Genuine. And as we're there, you will see uh, rise to the top this theme of eternal life in our passage. When you think about eternity, and you think about how long that is, and it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around it sometimes because eternity is a long, long, long time. And as we read our passage, you're going to see that theme rise up. And I just want to invite you right now to consider this idea, uh, how long eternity is, and then ask yourself, how often do you think about eternity? And, and is it concrete in your mind or is it something that you put off? And I just, I'm not going to think about that now because I'm living life now and in the now, so I'm not thinking about eternity. Let's open our passage now. I'm going to read chapter 5. If you'll just follow along with me as I read, we'll read verses 4 through 12. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so all the way through, we've been looking at genuine believers. And I think even here in this passage, we see four truths about the life of a genuine believer. The first one is this. Genuine believers have victory in Christ. Go back to verses 3 and 4. Look at this idea of overcoming the world. This is the love of God. That's verse 3. We keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That was from last week. Let's read verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This idea that genuine believers have victory in Christ. If you were here last week, we started with this song, Victory in Jesus. This is an old song. It's been around a while, but this is a new version. It's kind of kicked up and exciting. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you really missed out. Because sitting right here on this front row in front of these students and in front of everyone that was singing this song, there was a sense of joy and excitement in the room. Why? Because we have victory in Jesus. 
And we look at this passage and we see verse 4 and verse 5, this idea that our faith has overcome the world. This should be a huge encouragement to us in the life of a believer to think about Christ our King, Christus Victor, our great Victor, the one who has overcome. In Christ, we have a, a threefold victory. And in the context, we see some of this here. The first is this, a once-in-all victory of Jesus at the cross over Satan, sin, and death. Right? This victory is found in the Son of God. The one who believes the Son of God has overcome the world. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we see very plainly in the context, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We have victory in Christ, amen? A second victory that we have, especially in the context of 1 John in chapter 2 and chapter 4, this warning of false teachers, ones that have gone out from us. They were of us, but now they've gone out into the world. It says in chapter 4, this victory of a genuine believer has a victory over false teachers. But there's this warning that some are trying to lead you astray, and you need to stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm on who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. The third victory, the victory in the life of every believer when they receive this gift of faith through the gospel, through what Jesus has done, and they're taken out of the domain of darkness and brought into God's marvelous light. There is victory in Christ. Every genuine believer has this victory, and it's something we should get excited about. It's something that should press us on towards obeying the Scripture. It's something that should press us on towards telling others about Christ because we have victory. What does it say in verse 5? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Why is it that believers overcome the world? I think we can look to the Gospels. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus himself said this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Christ we have a victory. You know the feeling you get when your team wins a big game? I don't know if you saw any big games this weekend, but my team had a really big game, all right? Some of you already noticed I'm wearing burnt orange. I'm wearing burnt orange for a reason. I went to the University of Texas, and the biggest game of the year is when they play Oklahoma, neutral site, Red River rivalry. No one expected Texas to win. Guess what happened? Texas won, right? That feeling you get when your team wins the big game, right? There is this victory. You just feel like you can take anyone on. And you're going to win. You charge the gates, right? This is the feeling we should have when we remember what Christ has done for us. This idea of victory that Satan has no ownership over us, that there is freedom from sin, and we aren't people trying to win the war. We are people knowing that the end is already the outcome's already been made known to us, right? The war's already over. There's just battles along the way. We are people of victory. The question for us as genuine believers is how does that victory encourage you to keep living for Jesus? Thinking about what Christ has done and thinking about he's overcome the world. When our team wins, we feel like we can just charge, right? That's exactly how a believer should think about their walk with Christ. 
We have victory. Charge on. Let's live for him. That's the first truth. Here's the second. Genuine believers trust that Jesus is the Christ. You see, uh, there's this passage here talking about the witnesses that we have, the water and the blood and the spirit. It, it could be a little bit uh, confusing. It can be a little bit awkward at first to say, what's going on? The water and the blood, I don't really get it. And then uh, upon further study, as we look at the context, you see again uh, that this letter has many warnings of the false teachers. Uh, these false teachers who would have said, yes, Jesus came by water, but John, on the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying, no, not by water only, water and the blood. So what's going on there? What, what, what's happening when you have to talk about those witnesses? Well, I think uh, the best way to understand it is this. And many scholars agree on this idea that the, the water there refers to the baptism of Jesus and his life and ministry afterwards, right? His three years of proclaiming the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe, his time of healing people, making disciples, and trusting the disciples to go out and speak about repentance and forgiveness. This is the water, right? Jesus did great things in his ministry, and these false teachers aren't denying that, right? What they're denying is that he was actually the son of God. What they're denying is that his death on the cross is the atonement for our sins. And so John comes and says, no, 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 not by water only, but by water and the blood. We can write down chapter 2, verse 22, where it clearly says these false teachers are denying that Jesus is the Christ. So what we receive from these witnesses is the idea that genuine believers trust that Jesus is the Christ and don't deny that, right? We have these witnesses, the water and the blood. We can't overstate this truth. As Christians, we, we stand on this truth that Jesus came, yes. And I think the false teachers uh, would agree with that. Great teacher, great ministry, did many mighty things, did miracles, healed people, but it doesn't stop there. See, Jesus came, he had a ministry, and the reason that he came, Mark chapter 10, was to give his life a ransom for many. So he died on the cross, poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That those who trust him might have eternal life. You can't overstate this truth. You see, the pastors have been praying for the last several weeks and are so encouraged that there are people in our church that are getting really excited about having gospel conversations. Uh, there's tools, and we did a training last week about three circles, and even beyond that, just a lot of people in different areas of our church are starting to really catch fire for this idea of fulfilling the Great Commission telling people about Jesus and engaging in that conversation, even though there may be a lump in your throat, to, to push past that and say, I want to obey. I want to I speak Christ, Romans 1, in an unashamed way. And the more conversations you have like that, I think the more often you come across people that say, yeah, I, Jesus was a good guy, you know, like, love your neighbor, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, I, he, I believe in all those things. Jesus was love. Yeah, he's a good guy. And then you say, now, he's asking you to repent and believe, make him king, and follow him. Right, that reaction oftentimes, right? I don't know about that. I don't, you know, I just, I'm a little uneasy about that. And so you pray that the Spirit's working and tilling the soil of their heart, that they might see the truth of Christ. When you're having that conversation, you can't just stop it by saying, Jesus was a good teacher. You have to say, he was the Son of God, fully man, but fully God. And so his atoning sacrifice, his 
payment for our sins on the cross is the crux of what we believe as Christians. So you have this passage that he came not by water only, but by water and the blood. See, why do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? Because, as I said, he is the atoning sacrifice. First John says this several times. You can write down chapter 1, verse 7. You can write down chapter 2, verse 2, propitiation for our sins, or chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus Christ came that we might have life. Let me read chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That is a pivotal, pivotal moment in explaining the gospel. Jesus died, but he rose from the grave. We can't just stop at his ministry that he was a good teacher. So, uh, more than this is this idea, not just this witness of the water, his ministry and his life, and the blood, his death on the cross, but the passage goes to speak about the Spirit being an even greater witness for us. Why is the Holy Spirit a greater witness for genuine believers to trust that Jesus is the Christ? Well, I think it's easy even what the passage alludes to, that the Spirit gives testimony about Christ. We learned last week that the, the main job of the Holy Spirit is to give a witness about Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to lead people unto the truth about who Christ is. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So our passage says the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And more than that, all the way through the letter, we, we see the Holy Spirit is giving assurance in the life of a believer. In chapter 3, verse 24, we know that we abide in God because of the Spirit living in us. Chapter 4, verse 13, the Spirit gives us this confidence that we're abiding in God. We have the witness of the Spirit. We trust that Jesus is the Christ. There's two or three witnesses. Water, blood, spirit. Why is it a big deal here in 1 John? He says, see, we have three witnesses so we can be sure Jesus is the Christ. I didn't know this until last week, but this theme of many witnesses is all throughout the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 19, there in the law, it says a single witness shall not suffice. Only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And then in the New Testament, several examples, but there's one here in 2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you, Paul says. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So John's just following along. It's a big deal to have these three witnesses. Well, which witnesses do we have that Jesus is the Christ? His baptism, life, and ministry by the water his atoning sacrifice on the cross by his blood, and the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Genuine believers trust that Jesus is the Christ. And so the question for us is, are these witnesses enough for you? Meditating on the life and ministry of Christ, or meditating on the cross, meditating on the work of the Holy Spirit, is that enough for you? Does that help you in times of doubt or frustration or circumstance to say, no, I trust Jesus is the Christ, He's the reigning king. He's in control. I trust him. He's my Lord. He's my savior. I'm going to do what he says. 
what we have this passage for, this encouragement to us as genuine believers. We keep walking through and we see the third truth in the passage. Verses 9 and 10. Genuine believers receive the testimony of the Father. They receive the testimony of the Father. It says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. He does not believe the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. It is not enough that the water and the blood and the Spirit testify that Jesus is the Christ. Now we have to consider the testimony of the Father. You see, John, at the beginning of the letter, was giving testimony of men. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and is manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. That was the testimony of men. And John's saying here, yes, you can believe my testimony, but even greater than that, there's this testimony of the Father that Jesus indeed was his beloved Son, that Jesus indeed came to do the things that the Father sent him to do. Where can we see an example of that in the Gospels? The testimony of the Father. Well, I think a, a great place to see it is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I think you know the narrative. Jesus uh, comes and sets the example for us by being baptized. He rises up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And this booming voice out of the heavens says this. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. This is my son, right? The father says, this is my son. And then Jesus goes all the way through, right? Saying, I and the father are one. John 17, he's praying. Uh, the father has given my sheep to me. They have done the things that you have asked them to do. I'm doing the things that you want me to do. Father, I'm going to the cross. I don't want to drink the cup, but if I have to, I will. Father, your will be done. All the way through the Gospels, Jesus saying, I'm doing the things you sent me to do, Father. Right here, this reminder, 1 John, testimony of God is greater. And so this testimony of God, this idea that Jesus is his son, this idea that even it says in the next verse, verse 11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This promise of eternal life is within every genuine believer. That's what it says in verse 9. For this reason, the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. Someone who has received this truth about Christ has this testimony abiding in them. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is my atoning sacrifice. Do you have that testimony abiding in you? That's the question for everyone this morning. Here's the fourth truth. Genuine believers have eternal life. I'm just going to read verses 11 and 12 one more time. This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in the Son. 
Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Speaking here about eternity. If you're in Christ, you have eternal life, right? Even at the beginning, we, we learned in chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is life. The word of life has come. So we have life in Christ. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we see it twice. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they might have. Thank you, all three of you. I'm trying one more time. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have and have it more abundantly, full life in Christ. Jesus is life. Again, as he's praying in John 17, verse 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the Father, and your Son, whom you have sent, knowing Christ, in a relationship with Christ, there is eternal life. One scholar said it this way, I'm just going to quote him because I don't think I can say it better about eternal life. In God, there is peace. Therefore, eternal life means serenity. In God, there is power, and therefore, eternal life means the defeat of frustration. It means a life filled with the power of God and therefore victorious over every circumstance. In God, there is holiness. Therefore, eternal life means the defeat of sin. In God, there is love, and therefore eternal life means the end of bitterness and hatred. In God, there is life, and therefore eternal life means the defeat of death. In Christ, there is eternal life. Do you have this eternal life? I said at the beginning, it's hard for me to think about what eternity looks like, and so I don't know how many of you guys have been curious about this the whole day, but let me tell you now what this yellow rope is here for. This is a long yellow rope. Uh, and I want the yellow rope to symbolize eternity. Can you see this black strip here? A strip of black tape. Can everyone see that? You need to see it against a white tape of paper or something. Can you see that white? White against the black? So if this is your life here, and this is eternity, that's a long time. Seems like this rope just keeps going and going. In fact, I would say that this rope just keeps going and going and going and going. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. Look at this. Finally, I got to the end of it. Here's the deal about eternity. It never stops. This is the span of our life, 50, 60, 80, 90, 100 years. And this is eternity. Jesus says, if you have me, you have eternal life. If you don't have me, you have eternal death and hell. So I can't have an unending rope up here this morning, but maybe that helps you wrap your mind around this idea. Very clearly at the end of this passage, listen again. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. After hearing a passage like this, it should be so encouraging for every believer, so encouraging for the Christian in the room. There's so much hope there. There's so much victory there. There's so much trust there. It would be crazy this morning if you were not 
found in the family of God, if you are not forgiven by what Christ has done, that I didn't just invite you to a life of joy and a life of hope, the same testimony that we saw with Miss Christine up here at her baptism. That Christ has changed her from the inside out and given her a new life that's available to you this morning if you don't know Jesus. Because of everything that was so clearly laid out in this text, that Christ died for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice. We don't have to earn our way. We don't have to try to work our way back to God. I know that I'm a sinner. Christ died to take care of that sin. This eternal life is only found in Christ. There's no other way. There's no trying to be good enough or coming to church enough or trying to pray enough. And so hear this this morning as a warning. This is our life. This little, tiny, black ribbon of tape. And this is eternity. An endless rope. Where will you spend eternity? As we come to a close, all along in this book of 1 John, we've been asking the question, are you genuine? Are you genuine? We need to examine our life and see, are we walking with the Lord? Are we obeying His commands? Are we loving one another? Do we put our firm confidence in Christ? And I think that's a very important question. But this morning, again, the response of the Christian should not be walking out of here worried. The response of the Christian should be walking out of here encouraged that we have victory in Christ, that we trust Jesus is the Christ, that we've received the testimony of the Father, that in Christ we have this eternal life. And so my hope and my prayer for you this morning, if you're a Christian, that you'd walk out of this place just encouraged. You'd walk out of this place remembering the victory you have in Christ, ready to charge the world you're not a believer, that you would have heard a message of hope and life and joy. And you wouldn't walk out of these doors until you asked someone, how do I start that relationship with Jesus? Help me understand the gospel. Help me understand what Jesus is asking of me in repenting and believing in him. 